Section 43 of The Interpretation of Dreams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Interpretation of Dreams by Sigmund Freud. Translated by A. A. Brill. Section 43. The Wish Fulfillment. Part 2. So far we have discussed the dream wish. We have traced it back to the sphere of the UCs, and have analyzed its relation to the day residues, which, in their turn, may be either wishes or psychic impulses of any other kind, or simply recent impressions. We have thus found room for the claims that can be made for the dream-forming significance of our waking mental activity in all its multifariousness. It might even prove possible to explain, on the basis of our train of thought, these extreme cases in which the dream, continuing the work of the day, brings to a happy issue an unsolved problem of waking life. We merely lack a suitable example to analyze in order to uncover the infantile or repressed source of wishes, the tapping of which has so successfully reinforced the efforts of the preconscious activity. But we are not a step nearer to answering the question. Why is it that the unconscious can furnish in sleep nothing more than the motive power for a wish fulfillment? The answer to this question must elucidate the psychic nature of the state of wishing, and it will be given with the aid of the notion of the psychic apparatus. We do not doubt that this apparatus, too, has only arrived at its present perfection by a long process of evolution. Let us attempt to restore it as it existed in an earlier stage of capacity. From postulates to be confirmed in other ways, we know that, at first, the apparatus strove to keep itself as free from stimulation as possible and therefore, in its early structure, adopted the arrangement of a reflex apparatus, which enabled it promptly to discharge by the motor parts any sensory excitation reaching it from without. But this simple function was disturbed by the exigences of life, to which the apparatus owes the impetus toward further development. The exigences of life first confronted it in the form of the great physical needs, the excitation aroused by the inner need seeks an outlet in motility, which we may describe as internal change or expression of the emotions. The hungry child cries or struggles helplessly, but its situation remains unchanged, for the excitation proceeding from the inner need has not the character of a momentary impact, but of a continuing pressure. A change can occur only if, in some way, in the case of the child by external assistance, there is an experience of satisfaction which puts an end to the internal excitation. An essential constituent of this experience is the appearance of a certain percept or food in our example, the memory image of which is henceforth associated with the memory trace of the excitation arising from the need. Thanks to the established connection, there results at the next occurrence of this need a psychic impulse which seeks to revive the memory image of the former percept and to re-evoke the former percept itself, that is, it actually seeks to re-establish the situation of the first satisfaction. Such an impulse is what we call a wish. The reappearance of the perception constitutes the wish fulfillment, and the full cathexis of the perception by the excitation springing from the need constitutes the shortest path to the wish fulfillment. We may assume a primitive state of the psychic apparatus in which this path is actually followed, that is, in which the wish ends in hallucination. This first psychic activity therefore aims at an identity of perception, that is, at a repetition of that perception which is connected with the satisfaction of the need. 
the primitive mental activity must have been modified by bitter practical experience into a secondary and more appropriate activity the establishment of identity of perception by the short regressive path within the apparatus does not produce the same result in another respect as follows upon cathexis of the same perception coming from without the satisfaction does not occur and the need continues in order to make the internal cathexis equivalent to the external one the former would have to be continuously sustained just as actually happens in the hallucinatory psychosis and in hunger fantasies which exhaust their performance in maintaining their hold on the object desired in order to attain to more appropriate use of the psychic energy it becomes necessary to suspend the full regression so that it does not proceed beyond the memory image and thence can seek other paths leading ultimately to the production of the desired identity from the side of the outer world this inhibition as well as the subsequent deflection of the excitation becomes the task of a second system which controls voluntary motility that is a system whose activity first leads on to the use of motility for purposes remembered in advance but all this complicated mental activity which works its way from the memory image to the production of identity of perception via the outer world merely represents a roundabout way to wish fulfillment made necessary by experience thinking is indeed nothing but a substitute for the hallucinatory wish and if the dream is called a wish fulfillment this becomes something self-evident since nothing but a wish can impel our psychic apparatus to activity the dream which fulfills its wishes by following the short regressive path has thereby simply preserved for us a specimen of the primary method of operation of the psychic apparatus which has been abandoned as inappropriate what once prevailed in the waking state when our psychic life was still young and inefficient seems to have been banished into our nocturnal life just as we still find in the nursery those discarded primitive weapons of adult humanity the bow and arrow dreaming is a fragment of the superseded psychic life of the child in the psychoses these modes of operation of the psychic apparatus which are normally suppressed in the waking state reassert themselves and thereupon betray their inability to satisfy our demands in the outer world the unconscious wish impulses evidently strive to assert themselves even during the day and the fact of transference as well as the psychoses tells us that they endeavor to force their way through the pre-conscious system to consciousness and the command of motility thus in the censorship between the uc's and pc's which the dream forces us to assume we must recognize and respect the guardian of our psychic health but it is not carelessness on the part of this guardian to diminish his vigilance at night and to allow the suppressed impulses of the uc's to achieve expression thus again making possible the process of hallucinatory regression i think not for when the critical guardian goes to rest and we have proof that his slumber is not profound he takes care to close the gate to motility no matter what impulses from the usually inhibited uc's may bustle about the stage there is no need to interfere with them they remain harmless because they are not in a position to set in motion the motor apparatus which alone can operate to produce any change in the outer world sleep guarantees the security of the fortress which has to be guarded the state of affairs is less harmless when a displacement of energies is produced not by the decline at night in the energy put forth by the critical censorship but by the pathological enfeeblement of the latter or the pathological reinforcement of the unconscious excitations and this while the preconscious is cathected and the gates of motility are open the guardian is then overpowered the unconscious excitations subdue the pieces and from the pieces they dominate our speech and action or they force hallucinatory regressions 
thus directing an apparatus not designed for them by virtue of the attraction exerted by perceptions on the distribution of our psychic energy we call this condition psychosis we now find ourselves in the most favorable position for continuing the construction of our psychological scaffolding which we left after inserting the two systems ucs and pcs however we still have reason to give further consideration to the wish as the sole psychic motive power in the dream we have accepted the explanation that the reason why the dream is in every case a wish fulfillment is that it is a function of the system you sees which knows no other aim than wish fulfillment and which has at its disposal no forces other than the wish impulses now if we want to continue for a single moment longer to maintain our right to develop such far-reaching psychological speculations from the facts of dream interpretation we are in duty bound to show that they insert the dream into a context which can also embrace other psychic structures if there exists a system of the uc's or something sufficiently analogous for the purposes of our discussion the dream cannot be its sole manifestation every dream may be a wish fulfillment but there must be other forms of abnormal wish fulfillment as well as dreams and in fact the theory of all psychoneurotic systems culminates in the one proposition that they too must be conceived as wish fulfillments of the unconscious our explanation makes the dream only the first member of a series of the greatest importance for the psychiatrist the understanding of which means the solution of the purely psychological part of the psychiatric problem but in other members of this group of wish fulfillments for example in the hysterical symptoms i know of one essential characteristic which i have so far failed to find in the dream thus from the investigations often alluded to in this treatise i know that the formation of an hysterical symptom needs a junction of both the currents of our psychic life the symptom is not merely the expression of a realized unconscious wish the latter must be joined by another wish from the preconscious which is fulfilled by the same symptom so that the symptom is at least doubly determined once by each of the conflicting systems just as in dreams there is no limit to further overdetermination the determination which does not derive from the uc's is as far as i can see invariably a thought stream of reaction against the unconscious wish for example a self-punishment hence i can say quite generally that an hysterical symptom originates only when two contrary wish fulfillments having their source in different psychic systems are able to meet in a single expression examples would help us but little here as nothing but a complete unveiling of the complications in question can carry conviction i will therefore content myself with the bare assertion and will cite one example not because it proves anything but simply as an illustration the hysterical vomiting of a female patient proved on the one hand to be the fulfillment of an unconscious fantasy from the years of puberty namely the wish that she might be continually pregnant and have a multitude of children and this was subsequently supplemented by the wish that she might have them by as many fathers as possible against this immoderate wish there arose a powerful defensive reaction but as by the vomiting the patient might have spoiled her figure and her beauty so that she would no longer find favor in any man's eyes the symptom was also in keeping with the punitive trend of thought and so being admissible on both sides it was allowed to become a reality this is the same way of acceding to a wish fulfillment as the queen of the parthians was pleased to adopt in the case of the triumvir crassus believing that he had undertaken his campaign out of greed for gold she caused molten gold to be poured into the troth of the corpse here thou hast what thou hast longed for 
Of the dream we know as yet only that it expresses a wish-fulfillment of the unconscious, and apparently the dominant preconscious system permits this fulfillment when it has compelled the wish to undergo certain distortions. We are, moreover, not in fact in a position to demonstrate regularly the presence of a train of thought opposed to the dream wish, which is realized in the dream as well as its antagonist. Only now and then have we found in the dream analyses signs of reaction products as, for instance, my affection for my friend R in the dream of my uncle. But the contribution from the preconscious which is missing here may be found in another place. The dream can provide expression for a wish from the UCs by means of all sorts of distortions. Once the dominant system has withdrawn itself into the wish to sleep and has realized this wish by producing the changes of cathexis within the psychic apparatus which are within its power, thereupon holding on to the wish in question for the whole duration of sleep. Now, this persistent wish to sleep on the part of the preconscious has a quite general facilitating effect on the formation of dreams. Let us recall the dream of the father, who, by the gleam of light from the death chamber, was led to conclude that his child's body might have caught fire. We have shown that one of the psychic forces decisive in causing the father to draw this conclusion in the dream, instead of allowing himself to be awakened by the gleam of the light, was the wish to prolong the life of the child seen in the dream by one moment. Other wishes originating in the repressed have probably escaped us, for we are unable to analyze this dream. But as a second source of motive power in this dream, we may add the father's desire to sleep. For, like the life of the child, the father's sleep is prolonged for a moment by the dream. The underlying motive is, let the dream go on, or I must wake up. As in the dream, so in all others, the wish to sleep lends its support to the unconscious wish. In Chapter 3, we cited dreams which were manifestly dreams of convenience. But in truth, all dreams may claim this designation. The efficacy of the wish to go on sleeping is most easily recognized in the awakening dreams, which so elaborate the external sensory stimulus that it becomes compatible with the continuance of sleep. They weave it into a dream in order to rob it of any claims it might make as a reminder of the outer world. But this wish to go on sleeping must also play its part in permitting all other dreams which can only act as disturbers of the state of sleep from within. Don't worry, sleep on. It's only a dream is in many cases the suggestion of the PCs to consciousness where the dream gets too bad, and this describes in a quite general way the attitude of our dominant psychic activity towards dreaming, even though the thought remains unuttered. I must draw the conclusion that throughout the whole of our sleep we are just as certain that we are dreaming as we are certain that we are sleeping. It is imperative to disregard the objection that our consciousness is never directed to the latter knowledge and that it is directed to the former knowledge only on special occasions when the censorship feels as it were taken by surprise. On the contrary, there are persons in whom the retention at night of the knowledge that they are sleeping and dreaming becomes quite manifest, and who are thus apparently endowed with the conscious faculty of guiding their dream life. Such a dreamer, for example, is dissatisfied with a term taken by a dream. He breaks it off without waking and begins it afresh in order to continue it along different lines, just like a popular author who, upon request, gives a happier ending to his play. Or on another occasion, when the dream places him in a sexually exciting situation, he thinks in his sleep, I don't want to continue this dream and exhaust myself by an emission. I would rather save it for a real situation. The Marquis F.V. Bashida declared that he had gained such power over his dreams that he could accelerate their course at will and turn them in any direction he wished 
it seems that in him the wish to sleep had accorded a place to another a pre-conscious wish the wish to observe his dreams and to derive pleasure from them sleep is just as compatible with such a wish resolve as it is with some proviso as a condition of waking up wet nurses sleep we know too that in all persons an interest in dreams greatly increases the number of dreams remembered after waking concerning other observations as to the guidance of dreams ferenczi states the dream takes the thought that happens to occupy our psychic life at the moment and elaborates it from all sides it lets any given dream picture drop when there is a danger that the wish fulfillment will miscarry and attempts a new kind of solution until it finally succeeds in creating a wish fulfillment that satisfies in one compromise both instances of the psychic life end of section 43 read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama